0: Good morning, and the rest of us, we start a new series today. We are starting a series called A Promising Year, A Promising Year, and today's title is Receive God's Promises. So what's coming is Receive God's Promises, Rejoice in God's Promises, Remember God's Promises, Rehearse God's Promises, and you'll hear more about that and the value of those uh, concepts as we go. I want to begin with uh, three questions, and the three questions, I would like you to just consider them. Raise your hand if if you would like to answer or acknowledge with the nod of your head or whatever. So the first question is, how many of you experienced difficult levels of discouragement last year? All right, uh, a number of you have. Uh, I think that's understated. All right, Uh, the next question is, have you ever felt like your life's joy energy and motivation was wrung out of you. Yeah. So I want to talk about that before the third question a little bit and just kind of share what a little bit of my wrung out emotions and joy felt like. Uh, I don't know if you'll relate to this word picture. It felt like I was living in a mega-sized washing machine that just went into the spin cycle and so I somehow was shoved out of center and pinned against the wall and it started picking up speed and it kept going and going and going and that was 2020. And then it kept going and going and going and going. And last year, in a way, it was a lot more discouraging for me than 2020 was because as a leader, it didn't stop. And uh, it just felt like the spinning was out of control. And I had no ability to do anything about any circumstances or anybody's attitude, or behaviors, or anything. And so I just felt pinned against that set of circumstances and wrung out, dried out, and struggling. All the while knowing that, within this mega washing machine, right in the center is a place of promise. That if I could get there... I can become reoriented and gain a little bit of what I needed to carry on. And so there is this strange mixture of feeling completely drained and completely in love with God who keeps filling me up with enough to keep going in this place of promise, now, it's not a place that I could get to and stay indefinitely. It's a, it's a place I had to keep going to and keep going to. And so those words that I'm working with in this series, where we are receiving and remembering rejoicing, remembering, and rehearsing, is how we get to that place of promise. So having kind of described that for me a little bit, The third question, how many of you would like a teaching series that helps you experience a promising year? Me too. (laughs) And so I picked this teaching series because I need it. And so I think we all do, and that's what this is about. God's promises are powerful. This is also on the screen. For those who receive them, rejoice in them, remember them, and rehearse them. This is how believing God's promises builds a promising life. Now I'm going to begin with a fundamental concept that I don't believe all of us really hang on to uh, enough. And some people might kind of bristle and kind of dig in their heels and not really sure about this fundamental concept, but here it is. Many of God's promises are conditional. In other words, if you are not going to do the part that it takes to receive and to live in and to enjoy, you're going to miss out on the promises that God has for us. So if you don't believe the promises, your life will drift and your faith will become wrung out and dried up. And if this happens, God's promises are not the problem. If this happens, God's promises are not the issue, our failure to receive them, our failure to rejoice in them, our failure to remember them, our failure to rehearse them, our failure to build our life upon them is the problem. And so we need to learn how to find that place of promise in this world, which if you've kind of felt that word picture working for you is like that mega washing machine that just puts us out away from the center, uh, out away from that place of peace where it's not spinning out of control, where we experience the peace of God, the power of God, the joy of God, the love of God, and have everything we need to experiencing a promising year. Now, I'm not saying anything about circumstances being wonderful all year long. I have no predictions about this year as it relates to circumstances. I have no prediction that suddenly we're lifted out of the washing machine and, you know, we're just placed in a bed of roses. I'm not talking about anything like that. I'm talking about living in the promises of God to such a degree that you would never voluntarily move away from there. And yet each one of us do move away from there every time we start believing something contrary to the promises of God. And as we live according to believing something contrary to those promises, we will feel and experience all kinds of things. So, I think that gets us ready to jump into uh, this message for today. We're gonna start in Hebrews chapter 11. It's the hall of faith, fame, of the Old Testament faithful people in the New Testament. So Hebrews 11 lists off all these people that believed all the promises of God, that effectively uh, lived in this space where they're hanging on to this hope and it's making all the difference for them. And we jump into verse 33 after they are described and you'll notice that their lives were even rougher than our 2021, many of them. And we read this, by faith these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised. So that's what we're after today, to understand how to receive what God promised. Promises. There's three key words I want to just hone in on from what we have before us and on the screen, I believe, yes. The three key words are faith, promise, and received. I want to put them together this way. Receiving the promises requires faith. Receiving the promises requires faith. Now, let me talk about that for a little bit. Because we tend to think of faith as what happens on the inside, sometimes in our head as I believe that, sometimes in our heart as I believe that to the degree that I feel that. I want us to move beyond inside. Faith isn't just inside, faith is what changes you and produces changed perspective. Changed attitudes and changed actions. This inside, if you hang on to these promises, will get to the place where literally this believing changes your perspective because you really believe it. Changes your attitudes because you really believe it. And changes your actions because you really believe it. And like I say... When all the spinning stuff around you and all the negativity around you and all the fears around you are swirling and then you feel pulled into that, we're beginning to believe something contrary to the promises and we get sucked away from the center. So this is a very powerful uh, concept that we need to get a hold of. To illustrate this, I want to talk about something that really happened. I want us to picture an old Jewish rabbi who was found himself in an unjust imprisonment. And we're going to enter the scene after 2 years being held by a king in unjust imprisonment and i want us to contrast this old jewish rabbi who by this time is incredibly gaunt and weakened scarred by the abuses not a sight for the eyes to go he is a powerful man And on the contrary, when you contrast him, in comes this king with all his power and all his entourage and all his pomp. And you look and you think, there's where the power is. But don't be fooled. This old Jewish rabbi, in contrast to this king, has incredible power that the onlookers cannot see. Now I'm talking about something that happened frequently, so you could have gone to other periods of history, but I'm talking about Paul. After two years of an unjust imprisonment, when he was held uh, by the political powers of his day and transferred from one political power to another political power and then paraded before a king with power, a wicked and cruel king, and you've probably heard of this king. One name for him would be King Herod. But this is Herod Agrippa. Now, just in case you're familiar with the title King Herod, I don't want you to be confused because there are many King Herods. King Herod Agrippa is not the King Herod who was so evil and wicked at the time frame of the birth of Jesus, who he had all the infants, boys, in Bethlehem who were two years old or younger, slaughtered by his warriors, killed. And Jesus escaped only because his parents both received messages from angels to get out of there. Now, that would be his... Earthly parents, his mother, Mary, and his, Mary's husband, Joseph. And Jesus got out of there. But that was King Agrippa's great grandfather. Now I want you to tell, I want to tell you about Herod Agrippa's great uncle. Uh, We read about His great um, uncle, this Herod, being the one that had John the Baptist beheaded. Um, Then there's Agrippa's father. Agrippa's father is the one that we read about who executed James the disciple and was planning on executing Peter, but he got away. So these are some very wicked kings, and if you study history, it gets way worse than that because they're wicked through and through. I mean, think about a king, supposedly king of Judaism, who is trying to make sure that the Christ child is killed. This is not a faithful Jew. This is a power-mongering, half-Jewish, politically compromised, evil man, and his whole dynasty follows suit in his evil. They kill their wives, they kill their sons, they kill anything that threatens their power. This is a wicked man that Paul is now facing and all this power show is taking place. Now, you might jot this down because it's a great chapter to read. Acts chapter 26 is where this showdown takes place. And in this showdown, Herod says, okay, so give me your case. now." Paul hasn't been able to give his case effectively. Every time he gives his case, they keep pushing him off, pushing him off. Injustice keeps being strung out. So you can read about how this thing works. But what I want us to do is imagine being in Paul's shoes where nothing is going well. Injustice is rampant. The political powers have you wrung out and on their fingertips and just doing whatever they want with you personally, and now you have a chance to present your case and you have no attorney to speak for you, what do you say? And here we have the Apostle Paul, who is unafraid, who has all the power in the room, and all the power that all the Herods lived for that the world promises power to you at a price and they have no idea where this price is going to lead them, Paul has more power than that. And then we read in Acts 26, verse 6, Now I am on trial because of my hope in the fulfillment of God's promise made to our ancestors. That's the only verse I'm going to read. But then he goes on to preach about that hope fulfilled. And that hope fulfilled is the resurrection of Jesus, their Messiah, who was crucified, a criminal's death. And then the whole place goes in an uproar again like it keeps happening when he presents that this resurrection is a reality. Now, the hope in the fulfillment of God's promise must begin there for us as well. If you haven't wrestled this down to the ground, you need to wrestle this down to the ground. Jesus was a real person who really was crucified and who really rose from the dead. And his crucifixion and resurrection means something for us today. And it's a promise for our lives that is solid and will carry us through any of the circumstances in this giant Wash machine that rings us out from day to day. So you need to wrestle down in your heart and in your life. Is he really who he claimed to be? Did this really happen? And does it make a difference for me? And by faith alone can you receive all that that brings. And so now we're ready for point number one God's promises are gifts God's promises are gifts On the screen is a quote the power of God's promises are experienced only by those who receive his gifts And yet I said they were unconditioned they were conditional even gifts have to be received even gifts have to be unpackaged even gifts have to be yes thank you and held on to, and embraced as yours. So I'll ask you some personal questions as we continue. What opposes you today? We talked about how Paul was opposed, how there was this big conflict, what he would like and what he wants versus this opposition that's keeping him from what he would like and what he wants. What opposes you today? Circumstances? Challenges? Challenges? People, fears, what opposes you today? And then I want to just jump to a promise from the pen of Paul in Romans, chapter 8, verse 31. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Now, isn't it strange how it's worded? Because if on the surface you might think this promise means nobody will stand against you. No, that's the furthest from the truth. We just saw King Herod standing against Paul. He is saying something by this statement. Not that they won't stand against you, but that they don't stand a chance against you. And so I want to put it this way. If... I'm going to interpret. If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Simply is saying, if we are on God's side, how can we lose? Me and God are majority. Okay. If I'm on God's side, how? can I lose? That's what he's saying. So if you don't mind, I'm going to say this again. I'm going to have you repeat it out loud. If we are on God's side, how can we lose? Ready? If we are on God's side, how can we lose? That's what we're talking about. All the heroes of the faith built their lives on the promises of God. And here stood Paul, seemingly weak, facing down Agrippa, God's promise puts Paul in a more powerful position than this evil king. We all need to find that place of promise in whatever the circumstances we find ourselves. God's promises are gifts, but you must receive them. It takes some unpackaging. It takes some embracing. It takes some using. We're going to talk about that. Point number two. Heirs of promise are secure and confident. Heirs of promise are secure and confident. We're going to jump to Hebrews chapter 6, reading verse 17 and 18. God also bound himself with an oath, saying that those who received the promise... Now, that phrase, those who received the promise, in uh, the NIV, for example, and many other translations translates it something like this, NIV, the heirs of what was promised. The heirs of what was promised. So those who receive the promise are the ones who are the heirs that received that promise, okay? So it was promised, and now it's received as an inheritance. Heirs of what was promised could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge can have great confidence as we hold to the hope that lies before us. On the screen is a quote. If you are an heir, how do you become perfectly sure you are an heir? Do these two things. Read the will and spend the money. <laughs> Heirs of promise have access to the family fortune. You might, with your pencil or pen, get ready to write down some references right here if you're interested. I'm just going to talk about riches. We're spending the fortune. We have, quote, riches of His grace. Ephesians 1, 7 and 2, 7. Ephesians 1, 7 and 2, 7. We have riches of His grace. We have the incalculable, this is a quote, the incalculable riches of Christ. Ephesians 3, 8. We have the riches of His glory, to be strengthened in your inner being through his spirit. That's Ephesians 3.16. So, read the will and spend the money. That's how you become sure, experientially. Not just, I believe it. Where you believe it, it sinks into your heart, it seeps through your attitudes and your actions and your outlook and your perspective, you start to live it out. So, let me just review where we've been. God's promises are gifts. Heirs of promise are secure and confident. And now point number three, for every problem, apply the prescribed promise. For every problem, apply the prescribed promise. Now, before I move into this, We're talking about promises, 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 which on the pages of this book, it's just filled throughout with promises that you can claim. There's a power in claiming promises that I want us to get a hold of this year. And to the degree that you'll apply yourself will be to the degree that you get to that place of peaceful promise in the center and experience power there in those promises On the screen is a quote, make it your aim to become so familiar with God's promises that you can write yourself a prescription for the promised outcome. Now, the only way to do this is one promise at a time. And I'm going to recommend this. Some of you are going to jump right on it. Some of you won't have anything to do with it. I can't control that. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Read through the Bible, looking for promises. When you find a promise, here's how you live it. First, you commit that promise to memory. Then you begin to rehearse that promise. You begin to rejoice over that promise. You begin to literally live in that promise. You pray according to that promise. We're going to talk about some of those things. And you work on that, and then you start to just really experience the riches of that promise, then you can start adding another promise and another promise and another promise. Pretty soon you start thinking more like Jesus, more like Paul, more like all the heroes of the faith who received the promise in the middle of this crazy world, which is this giant mega washing machine that pulls everybody away from God, away from center, that place of promise. In a way, every single word of God, even though it doesn't use the word promise, is a promise. Let me show you what I mean. From the first chapter of Scripture, early in Genesis, the Bible makes a case for the dependability of God. In the creation narrative, nine times we read, God said. And without exception, when God spoke, something happened. When there was darkness, God spoke and there was light. And then when God spoke next, there was land and beaches and creatures. God needed no collaborators. He needed no consultants. He needed no architects or contractors from nothing. He spoke everything into existence. He breathed life into every creature. He is our source and our supply. He needs no assistance, yet he invites us to participate. As heirs of promise, he treats us as loved children. Let me say that last part again. So he needs no assistance, but he invites us to participate like we would invite children to participate in a heavy task. Help me here. And he's doing the heavy lifting, but we get to enjoy lifting with him. He treats us like loved children. He spoke, it happened. When he speaks a promise, it is as good as done. He may have plans for, for specific timing, but we can depend on his promising words to deliver What he promises. So on the screen, the question is not will God keep his promises, but will we receive them and build our lives on them? It's my hope that this series will help us want to learn the promises, claim the promises, rejoice in the promises, pray according to the promises. Live by the promises, hope in the promises, worship in the promises, rejoice in the promises, and live with confidence. This series will help us do just that. I believe it will help you to experience a faith that is growing stronger, a peace that is growing deeper, a life that becomes a blessing, and a gratitude that spills Over. There may be some that think I'm over promising. Can a series really deliver this? I'm not over promising. I'm just rejoicing, rehearsing, and remembering and receiving promises myself. And I want to bring these promises before you so that you'll want to receive, remember, rejoice, and rehearse these promises too. And as you do, it's not going to be accidental or surprising, although we feel surprised every time. I feel surprised every morning when I wake up drained and I go to the Lord, wrung out, squeezed out, struggling a little bit, down, and he just fills me up, gives me what I need, and the promises are sure. Oh, I can slip back into the, (gasps) pinned against the wall, and he gives me by his strength a chance to go right to the center again and receive his supply and his promise. This is how believing God's promises works. And it builds a promising life. I believe we can all experience a promising year, and this is the path. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for being such a good God. You don't keep us in the dark, we keep ourselves there sometimes. We forget to open up your will. Look into it and allow the light of the glory of your promises to shine upon us. Sometimes we open up other sources of information, other sources that mess us up, and we flounder in a thought that scares us or threatens us or causes us to shrink back. Lord, we want to come before your glory and be filled with your glory to experience the promises in a way that changes our thoughts and changes our perspectives, our attitudes, and our behaviors. Lord, may this year be a promising year for each one of us as we hang on to you as the source and center, the one who promises so much and is able to deliver and has given us your son, Jesus Christ, as our assurance We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. We got a prayer team to the left of the stage there. If you need to be praying about anything, they'd be happy to pray with you. hope to see you back next week for rejoicing in God's promises. God bless you. Have a wonderful day.